Sorry, Sam, I, I, I changed my mind. I, I, I will read part of uh, uh, John chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles there and um, we'll read uh, not the whole passage up until the end of verse 38. It's a great passage. Now, as I read this passage, I want you to keep an eye out for the heart of Jesus. I want you to keep in, uh, keep on your mind his empathy and his sympathy because that's uh, the, the theme for this morning's message. But I want you to, to, to look for those things that Jesus displays that gives you a sense of how he looked at people, how he understood people, how he felt for people because they're all there. It's a great passage on Jesus' empathy and sympathy. So chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the, on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, a blind man, have kept this man from dying? It's a great passage. Were you looking for those moments when you saw a glimpse of Jesus' heart and his empathy? You know, the theme for this morning's message from John uh, is very relevant to TEMCARE, as uh, as you've already seen, that our 2018 theme is continuing to care. And in some respects, blessed with empathy, which is the topic for this morning's uh, message, could almost be the call for TEMCARE's ministry itself. But before going into this passage and, and having a look at the heart of Jesus and to see how he displayed empathy, I want to share with you the story of someone I met whilst I was working in my previous job uh, with a family court in Melbourne. His name is Leslie and he's homeless. And I used to meet him uh, generally at the end of every day because he was at the top of the escalator and uh, as I came to to, to go home uh, on, on the train, he would always be there each day. He's someone that I would class as a friend, even though I haven't seen him for for, for quite a number of years now. To look at Leslie would be a bit of a shock. His outward appearance was dirty, he was smelly, he was filthy, his clothes were torn and tattered, uh, his beard was very scraggy. In some ways he looked like a dirty version of Jesus. He had this long scraggy beard uh, and you know, the long hair, but uh, you know, his beard was scraggy, his hands and fingernails had obviously not been washed for some time. I can never recollect him ever being dressed in anything other than the same dark and tattered clothes every day. I think the only time that I ever saw him wearing something different was when I gave him a coat. Um, but otherwise, it was the same clothes, dirty, tatty, every day, each day, all the time that I knew him. His initial presentation was one of someone either mentally unwell or significantly affected by substances. He would walk back and forth, uh, he would uh, rock gently and he would talk to himself. And so you'd look at him and he would not be the sort of person that you would be naturally attracted to because you thought this guy is going to go off the banana tree at some stage. He just looks like he's right on the verge, walking backwards and forwards, as I said, talking to himself, rocking gently. And as a result, people tended to avoid him, despite the fact that the purpose of him being at the top of the escalator was to attract donations from passers-by. His appearance and presentation clearly ostracised him from society, which was very understandable in the circumstances. I mean, no person really thinking would go near him because of the way he presented. 
But one of the things that struck me about Leslie was his honesty. When I got to know him and he told me more of his story, uh, he was a very honest man. For example, he would openly tell me about his mental health diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, He would be very clear about that, very open. He would tell me about the problems that he had every night to to find a shelter, uh, because that was the purpose of him obtaining the the, uh, donations. Um, He wanted to get into a shelter, uh, somewhere to sleep, to be off the street. And he would also be very honest about telling me about the violence he would at times exhibit if he failed to take his medication. And on a couple of occasions, uh, or at least one occasion anyway, he, would, he had actually been committed to a psychiatric facility because he had assaulted his psychiatrist, which is very interesting. Uh, Leslie also knew that he had to be off the streets at night or he would be targeted by others. He was just such a target, you know, just the way he behaved. I'm sure people knew that they could get him going very easily. He knew he had to take his medication, but he also, in his own unique way, knew and understand that he knew and understood that there was a God who looked after him. And how do I know that? Because I had conversations with him about this, and and he would uh, often comment on on how he knew that there was a God who was looking after him, who got him into a to a a, um, a shelter each night, and he would thank. God for doing that for him. You know, I love talking with him, uh, and whenever we would meet on the streets, we would generally uh, give each other a big, big hug, which, can I tell you, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, God gave me the grace to do that. Just as an interesting aside, I was uh, talking about Leslie at another church, at the Warrandyte Church, and this guy came up to me afterwards, and sorry, I've forgotten his name, he said, I think I know Leslie. And he described him to me and I said, yeah, that's Leslie. And he said to me, I actually saw Leslie with a Bible talking to a group of other guys on the streets and he was obviously talking to them about things in the Bible and I thought, gee, that is fantastic. So here you have this guy who in his own unique way uh, was telling other people about at least spiritual things. You know, I could uh, provide you with numerous reasons not to approach a person like Leslie. He smelt, he was dirty, he displayed all the signs of uh, mental illness, unpredictability and possible drug use. And yet, if I had allowed those things to dictate uh, my initial response, I would never have met the lovely, and I'm being genuine, I'm not, you know, sort of glossing over this, the genuinely lovely, polite and friendly person he was. When you engaged him, suddenly he came alive. Uh, He had one of the most wonderful smiles on his face that you could ever come across. He just brightened, and that rocking, that talking to himself just left him, and you had this wonderful smile on his face. I would also not have had the chance to share my faith with him or to talk with him about a God who loved him. You know, it would be an understatement to uh, to say that Leslie's needs are enormous. They are. And I have no real answer to uh, how his significant and ongoing mental health 
hygiene, social accommodation, economic needs can be adequately addressed. I've got just just overwhelms me, um, and in many occasions left me feeling helpless. So the question I've got for you: If you met a Leslie, and there are Leslies and other people who are very similar to Leslie, if you met a Leslie, how would you respond? How would you react to someone like him? What would immediately come to your mind? Would it be um, the thought of disgust, revulsion, looking at somebody like Leslie and, and, and focusing on his, his dirtiness and his fingernails and the smell and the scraggy beard and the tattered clothes? Would your response immediately be one of, Disgust and revulsion? Would it be one of sorrow? Would you want to rescue him? Would you feel that, as some people do, that um, he is really to blame for his own circumstances? I had one person, after I, because I generally gave um, Leslie just a little bit of money, I had one person come up to me afterwards and had the temerity to tell me off for giving this guy some money because you're just promoting homelessness. So what would your response be? What would immediately come to your mind? In many respects, how we respond to the Leslie story or the somebody else story in this world will reflect my capacity to display the theme of this morning's message, namely empathy. And that's a bit of a challenge. How I respond to somebody like the Leslies of the world will Determine my capacity to display empathy and understanding. But what is this word? Well, if you go to the dictionary, you get a bit of a sense of what empathy is. They define it, or the dictionary defines it, as the ability to understand and share another person's feelings or experiences or emotions as if they were your own. It's about imagining what it would be like to be in that person's situation. It's the experience of understanding another person's condition from their perspective. And therefore you place yourself in their shoes and you feel what they are feeling. It's a a key element of what we call emotional intelligence, the link between ourselves and others, because it's how we as individuals understand what others are experiencing as if we were feeling it ourselves. Sometimes empathy is assumed to be the same as sympathy, but actually they're not. They're slightly different. Sympathy is feeling compassion, feeling sorrow, feeling pity for the hardships that another person encounters, whereas empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of another. So there's sort of a a subtle difference. But let's come back to Leslie. What would it be like to live in the shoes of Leslie for five minutes, let alone five hours, let alone five days, let alone five years? What would it like? Can you imagine what it would be like to live in the shoes of Leslie, to live life as he has to each day? Every time it rains, my mind goes to the Leslies of this world. How are they coping when it rains? Are they having to find the bridge? Are they having to find whatever shelter they can 
to keep themselves out of the rain, out of the the storm, out of the, the, the cold. And here I am, I'm sitting in my nicely new built house, but I feel for Leslie. And uh, I immediately think of him whenever we, there's a storm or whatever going on. So what is my capacity for empathy? What is my capacity for sympathy for people like the Leslies in this world? And how do we develop that? Well, Jesus gives us a wonderful model of that. And we have that in this passage. Now, the account in John 11 reflects a number of important issues. One of the the, the major focuses of of this uh, passage is Jesus' teachings about eternal life and the resurrection. One of the great passages uh, that we often quote at funerals because it is a message of hope that we will be resurrected. And even though we die, we will meet Jesus and we will be raised. One of the great passages. And in many respects, this passage and the teaching about eternal life and the resurrection needs to be read in conjunction with other important teachings from Jesus on the same subject. Go to John chapter 14. And how Jesus tells us that he is currently, or he went to prepare a place for you and for me. A place for you and for me. So that when we die, we can be with him and to be with our Father. Or you go to a passage in John 3 where Jesus tells us that we have to be born again in order to have eternal life. The other thing that I want you to to notice about this passage is that this account is not a parable. It's not a nice story. It's not an illustrative story. It's not some make-up thing that Jesus uses uh, in order to to teach about uh, eternal life or the resurrection or even about empathy. It is a real life story. Lazarus was a real person. He came from a real place. He died a real death and he rose a real resurrection. Sometimes we can look at passages like this and just focus more on the lovely teachings that come out of it. But this is the real story of a real man who died, got sick, died but rose again. And so we see this amazing, miraculous event that demonstrates the deity of Jesus and the incredibly deep, personal and intimate relationship he has with his Heavenly Father. But amongst all the other teachings that we have in this passage, the account also tells us much about Jesus' capacity for empathy and for sympathy. And in some respects that shouldn't be any surprise to us because the story of Jesus is about God the Father seeing a need and sending his son to be born into humanity and to live and to die and then to rise from the dead. In the book of Hebrews the writer says this in chapter 2, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, if that isn't empathy, 
I don't know what else is. Later, the writer says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Scripture is also full of instances of God the Father's empathy for his people. If you go to the Old Testament, we, uh, we see him declaring to, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. He says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So we have the empathy and the sympathy of God the Son, but we also have the empathy and sympathy of God the Father seeing his people in misery and he hears their cry and he is concerned for their suffering. And Jesus says somewhat similar things about his father in Matthew chapter 10 verses 29 to 31 where he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Can you see the theme that comes out in scripture of God's great empathy and sympathy for his people? God has the capacity to understand what it is like to live in our shoes. And God the Son understands that as well because he became man, fully man, even though he was fully God. So whether we're talking about God the Father or God the Son, the scripture portrays our Heavenly Father and his Son, our Saviour, as being full of empathy for humanity that results in action being undertaken to meet our needs. And that is emphasised in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Here Jesus models for us how to respond with empathy and sympathy to those in need. You know, it's one thing to read the teachings of Jesus and we need to to pay particular attention to when Jesus teaches us things. But we also need to, to pay sometimes even more attention to how Jesus models things for us. You know, I've, I've uh, often been to, to, to seminars and professional training and you get uh, people up the front and they, they teach you the things about family violence or mental health and, uh, and, and, uh, and how to, uh, uh, or, or the needs of, of, of kids who have experienced family violence or child abuse, which was the area of my expertise, and they get up there and they, they tell you, and you listen to it, yep, yep, yep. But can I tell you the most powerful training that I ever went to was a four-day training uh, session where uh, this guy from America came out and he worked with, with attachment disoriented kids, disordered kids, kids who had really lost the sense of attachment because of their experiences. But what struck me was that he not only taught the foundations, but he modelled for us how to engage kids. And if you look at the notes that I took from uh, those four days, they are full of 
words that this guy used in how to engage young people and kids and how to, to help kids to reconnect and to develop an attachment that had been lost for them. You see, sometimes looking at and watching how somebody models a truth becomes more significant than actually listening and hearing the truth or the teaching. And so Jesus does both. And here he models for us how to be empathic and how to be sympathy. When I read the passage, I asked you to <coughs> excuse me, listen or to see Jesus' heart and Jesus' sympathy and empathy. And so what I'm going to do is just to highlight some of the things that stand out for me. First of all, if you look at verse 3, did you notice that Jesus knew the people? He knew that there was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He knew their names. They were not just nameless figures. They were real people with real names. And if we are going to have empathy and sympathy for somebody, we have to do what Jesus did. We have to know people. We have to know their names. Now, as my wife will tell you, I'm terrible at remembering names. If you ask me somebody's life story, I can rattle it off. But I'm terrible with names. I had a friend many years ago who got away with that by just calling everybody mate. What a cop-out that was. So you could have been two years old, you could have been 92 years old, and um, he would call everybody mate. Now, that was his way of getting... But it's when you take the time and to make the connection to remember somebody's name, boy, you are connecting with that person. That's what you know. These things are not just put here for us to read over. Jesus knew their names, and he knew their names because he had made a connection with them. Um, I bothered to find out Leslie's name. Why? Because I wanted to come back to him every time I saw him in the future and to, and to say, how are you, Leslie? And that made a big difference. It made uh, just putting a bit of money into, into, his, into his very smelly hat um, something more meaningful. I told him my name and he told me his name and there was a connection. So knowing people is important. But also in verses 3 and 5, we, we, we find here that you know, his sympathy and empathy was grounded in love. And uh, it's interesting that the, the personal relationship is specifically mentioned, and it's mentioned for a purpose. Um, Jesus couldn't be empathic or couldn't understand the shoes of these people if he didn't love them. How on earth can you love somebody like Leslie? Well... You get to know them. You talk with them. You discover their life story. And you see beyond the smelliness and the, the tattered, uh, tattered things. Jesus' empathy and sympathy was also shaped by the bigger picture of his father's plan. If you look at verses 4 and 6 and 11 and 15, 23, 25 to 26, you find that Jesus' empathy and sympathy for Lazarus and members of his families was within the context of his understanding of God's overall plan. It troubled me the first time I read 
ever read this as a new Christian to read that Jesus, even though he knew that Lazarus was dying, he waited. You, you notice that? And it troubled me. I said, Jesus, why didn't you, why didn't you get on your motorcycle or something and, and zoom out there as quickly as you c- could? Well, Jesus had a bigger plan. He didn't sort of just rush off. Um, he didn't feel the compulsion to, to, to run ahead just because he knew their need and their pain. So Jesus' empathy and sympathy was shaped by the bigger picture of his father's plan. Did you also notice that Jesus' uh, Jesus' response involved personal action, but always within the father's timing in verse 8? You know, Jesus could have performed a miracle from afar, or he could have used a third person. He'd done that in other instances in the, in the gospel accounts. He could have just said, oh, um, Lazarus, uh, you're healed. But I find it noticeable and significant that he decided that his friends required his personal attention. That's understanding the experience of somebody. That's living in their shoes. That's understanding that on this occasion, Mary and Martha and, of course, Lazarus, needed Jesus to be there. And so he took personal action. But the biggest thing about Jesus' empathy and sympathy is that he felt their pain. One of the wonderful passages in the Bible that says that Jesus wept. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew that, um, that he, would, he would raise this person from the dead in the power of, 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 of God his Father. He knew that. And yet he wept. He wept here. He felt their pain. Um, it says that he was deeply moved. And it strikes me that the, the all-knowing, and I know that there's, you know, there's this discussion about the humanity and deity of Jesus, and, but while Jesus was fully man, he was also fully God. So we have here this wonderful, simple statement that Jesus wept. He felt their pain. We see here that Jesus understood the extent of their emotion at having lost their brother. He didn't discount that. He could have given them a platitude by telling them, telling them not to weep because he, uh, this was all part of God's plan to reveal his glory. He already knew that, but still he chose to feel their pain and their experience. And did you also notice that uh, the response of Jesus, of the empathic and sympathetic Jesus, is that he disregarded the personal cost of becoming involved. His disciples told him, well, if you go back there, you could be in danger, but Jesus chose to go, even though he understood the personal cost. His active empathy understood the potential cost to his own physical welfare. And then, of course, the sympathy and empathy of Jesus resulted in him meeting their need in verses 43 to 44. You know, if we really want to be like our saviour and to respond as he would, we also need to do the same. We need to take the time to know people. Do you do that? Do you really take the time to know their name and to know their story, as Sam was mentioning earlier on? 
Do we take the time? Do we know people? Or do we just have an acquaintance? Do you genuinely seek to love them, even the Leslies of the world? Do you allow yourself to feel their pain? That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to allow your your own heart to be open to the pain of somebody else. Jesus did it, and he is our model, so we should be prepared to do the same. Are we prepared to give something of ourselves that might be costly? Because that's what true empathy will lead you to. If you have walked and imagined being in the shoes of somebody, that will not leave you distinct from them. It will lead you to action. It has to. Otherwise, you have not really understood what it is like to be in the shoes of that person. And that giving of something might be costly. And do you do something when the opportunity arrives? Do you attempt to meet whatever needs you are able to realistically meet? And do you keep in mind the bigger picture, namely that the motivation behind our thoughts and feelings and actions should be to glorify our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus? So how are you going to do these things? If you met a Leslie on the street today, how might you emulate Jesus' empathy and sympathy? It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, For me, it was as simple as approaching him, telling him my name, asking him for his name, putting out my hand, shaking his hand, asking and then providing some sort of financial assistance. wasn't much, but it was something that connected us. For you, it might mean something else. And although... Having a Leslie experience in in this world might be too big a challenge. There are probably different types of Leslies that exist in your world that you can meet. Maybe their name is Fred or Mildred or Gertrude or I don't know. I always think of these strange names. Sorry, anybody here, Gertrude or Mildred, I've just offended you. And maybe their circumstances are very different to Leslie, but they're just as real. They might be your next door neighbour, they might be a fellow student, it might be a work colleague, or it might be another mum or another dad at playgroup or school. What Jesus models here for us can be applied to whatever circumstance you might be facing. So what are you doing to be the empathic Jesus in their lives? Someone who understands their circumstances, or at least tries to, to understand what their shoes are like to live in. And are you prepared to act to help meet their needs as Jesus did? It's an enormous challenge. This passage uh, is often looked at, as I said before, as a, as a great message of hope at funerals, uh, even generally for us. But it is also a powerfully challenging passage because it tells the story, the true story, of Jesus who saw the need of somebody who understood the pain of Mary and Martha, understood the need of Lazarus, who allowed himself to weep. The Son of God was weeping. If he wept, then we should weep for the people around us. And then he acted despite the cost. That's the challenge for us 
as we seek to bless by being empathic. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for this account of your son Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that, that, that you did this in the lives of Mary and Martha and, and also Lazarus. And we thank you that it has a, such a powerful challenge for us. And we pray, Father, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would motivate us and motivate our hearts, give us the courage to open our hearts so that we may understand and act upon what it is like for somebody else to live in the shoes that they have. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.